Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Theological Equipping Class uh, this morning on Sunday, February 5th. Uh, I am very excited to uh, study the topic of mission together here. Uh, this was actually supposed to be what we were studying next Sunday, but Jared went and started having, his wife started having a baby today, so you get me instead of Jared. I know that's disappointing. Um, but be praying for them. Um, last update I heard, still in labor, still waiting. Um, but, uh, but be praying for them. Let me pray for us, and then we will dive in here. Let me pray. Father, it is so good to get to uh, study your word here in Theological Equipping to discuss this glorious topic of mission across the scriptures we pray as we do this that you would be honored and exalted, that you would uh, glorify your Son, uh, you would help us to see your wisdom from, the before, from before the beginning of time to the far reaches of eternity ahead uh, in, in saving for yourself a people. Help us, Father, to, uh, yeah, to reflect on your word, to delight in your word, and to see how it changes uh, our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, well, we are continuing our theme, or our, sorry, our topic of biblical themes here in tech. And uh, as we've said probably every time, one of the goals of this series is to kind of display the unity of the scriptures. So the Bible is 66 books with who knows how many authors uh, across about 1,500 years of writing, uh, and uh, yet, somehow, gloriously, uh, with the, uh, under the divine authorship of Scripture, we find this beautiful uh, cohesiveness, this coherence uh, of these themes unfolding from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I think last time I said uh, one of my goals for this series is, is your biblical literacy to help you understand the Bible. Uh, as I've thought more about that, I think I need to repent of that because it's not really Biblical literacy, just knowing this knowledge I want to put in your head, but uh, the point is delight, is loving the Word of God. That's when, when Jared started our, our tech semester, he talked about Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. It's not just knowing the Bible, but delighting in it, loving it. Uh, and that's what I hope we find as we go through these themes. So uh, uh, every theme is different. Some themes are kind of patterns we see, uh, you know, here and there, uh, replicated. Some are these grand, uh, huge storylines that arc uh, across the whole Bible. Uh, and uh, this morning, our theme, which is mission, is one of those really big themes. Uh, I'm going to uh, attempt, at least, to show you how uh, from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end, uh, this theme uh, just kind of goes across absolutely everything. Uh, so, uh, yeah, to the point that we could say that even me teaching a class uh, in a theological equipping setting uh, or uh, when Tim preaches this morning is part of this theme. It actually falls under this development from this Theme. The reason we do these things is intimately related to the theme of mission. Uh, and the first thing we need to do, though, is to define it. Uh, so this is, is my definition, uh, but I plan, basically, my plan this morning is to unpack this definition and then defend it from the Bible. 
uh, and help, to help you see how, uh, how the Bible uses mission uh, and how the story unfolds. So here's the definition. Mission is the work of God reconciling to himself a people from all peoples. Mission is the work of God reconciling to himself a people from all peoples. Now, there are five elements, five, what I have, have titled five essential elements in that definition, five things that make mission, mission, and you need all five for something to be mission. Uh, by the way, I'll, I'll probably say sometimes mission, sometimes missions, uh, I'm saying the same thing. I don't mean anything different by that. All right. So uh, five essential elements uh, to this biblical theme of mission. So the first is mission is something God does. Uh, in that definition there, I say it is the work of God. So God is the initiator. He is the accomplisher, the, the, uh, yeah, the one who fulfills this theme of mission from start to finish. Uh, we will see that we have a role to play. We're involved in this theme of mission uh, but ultimately, it is God's baby, not ours. We get, or He gets to define it, not us. Uh, I know I just told you this is my definition, but again, this is the Bible's definition, so don't be mad at me. All right, now, essential element number two. So number one, mission is something God does. Number two, mission is something God does for himself. I tried to put this in the definition. It's not really in there, but you know, if you have a, a better idea about how to include it, you can do that. But basically, the point here uh, is that uh, missions passages throughout the whole Bible are just shot through this with this emphasis on God's glory. When God says he's doing something that, that we clearly see as missions, he says, for the sake of my own name. So over and over and over again, it's this constant theme. God is doing this for himself. It's his glory ultimately that is on display. It starts with his work and it ends with his glory. Uh, third essential element, mission is about salvation. Mission is about salvation. You see that in the definition. It is about God reconciling to himself. So there's a reconciliation that needs to take place between God and his people. Uh, mission is not the reconciliation. So missions does not equal the gospel. Uh, missions equals the spread of the gospel. So uh, if, you know, if the world is a piece of bread and the gospel is peanut butter, uh, missions is the knife that, that puts it across. I've, I've been watching my kids with, while well, my wife watches my newborn, so I've been making a lot of PB&Js. These are the illustrations you get uh, when that's my life. Uh, but yeah, missions is the knife that spreads uh, the gospel peanut butter. Uh, man, my mouth is watering. All right, um, number four, mission is aimed toward peoples, plural, peoples. Uh, there is uh, an inherent, you could say, diversity uh, to the to the. Uh, object of missions. It's not just how many people can we get saved. It's not just some like raw number that God is looking after. God is looking not to just save as many people in the world as possible or something like that. Uh, missions is about people from every tribe, nation, and tongue bowing the knee to Christ. So there is this, this, this diversity uh, which is the object of missions, and there are boundaries that must be crossed for mission to take place. Some of those boundaries are kind of ethnic, cultural, some are social, some are linguistic, language barriers, things like that. Uh, mission is aimed towards peoples. Uh, and then the fifth essential element uh, of, of our definition here, mission results in a people. 
So I said it's about this diversity, but it's also about this unity, about bringing together a people from all the people. So the capital C church is the goal of missions. Obviously, the glory of God is the goal of missions, but the earthly goal of missions is is the capital C church, one church from many nations. Uh, And as you look at those those five essential elements, uh, my hunch would be in most conversations about missions, uh, elements three, four, and five are probably mostly what we talk about. Uh, But I want to be really clear, and I hope you'll see as we go through the scriptures, that one and two are very, very foundational. Without one and two, we are really missing something important about missions. Uh, So uh, those are our five essential elements. It's something God does, something God does for himself. It's about salvation. It's aimed towards peoples, and it results in a people. Uh, Now to uh, trace that across all of the scriptures, we're going to look at, uh, what do we have, seven chapters, I think, six or seven chapters uh, of, of how this theme unfolds. And basically what we're going to see in each one of those is those five essential elements coming together in some way. So uh, first, we have to start with the need for mission. And the need for mission is actually twofold. Uh, it starts, though, in Genesis chapter 3. So look at verses 8 through 9. It says, and they, it's Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Uh, now, I could have just given you all of Genesis 3 to illustrate this need, but I chose those verses in particular because they capture this, this vertical relationship that has been ruptured. So Adam and Eve used to walk with God, used to see God face to face, and now God, they hide from God, and God says, where are you? So there's this, this relationship that has been destroyed. This is right after the fall. There's this, now this alienation from God. It's, it's a picture of the spiritual death that has occurred for Adam and Eve. Remember, God said, in the day that you die, sorry, in the day that you eat of it, the forbidden fruit, you will surely die. And then they ate the fruit, and it's kind of like, wait a second, they didn't die. I'm confused. Aren't they supposed to just fall over or something like that? Why didn't they get struck by lightning or something like that? Uh, The point is, yes, physical death is a result of the fall, uh, but physical death is nothing compared to spiritual death. And that's really what has happened here. Uh, This separation from God, this spiritual death that has taken place. So there's a need for a reconciliation. Uh, Humankind and their creator are... Uh, are alienated from one another, and and there's a need for reconciliation. But that's not the only problem that happened as a result of the fall. Look at uh, Genesis 11. Uh, This is the Tower of Babel story. It says, And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have one language. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So just the chapter before that, Genesis 10, uh, it's what's often called the table of nations. It's where you get all these descriptions. This person had this person's son who was the father of this you know, big giant people group. 
uh, and you kind of get this, this picture of the dispersion. Here in Genesis 11, it kind of goes backwards and says, well, what actually caused that dispersion, this spread of people across the world who spoke different languages and uh, had, had different, basically were different peoples? Uh, and that's this Tower of Babel where they, they uh, rebelled against God. Yes, it's a symbol of the, the vertical problem that's happened, but it has led to this separation from one another. So peoples, uh, they, obviously they speak different languages, they don't understand each other, uh, but there's this idea here, they were one people and now there are many peoples. And that begins as judgment, but as we'll see later on, God has glorious plans to make it, uh, to turn it for his glory. So uh, also what we need to see here is it's not just interpersonal strife, interpersonal conflict, uh, but international conflict is really. It's, it's one people becoming many peoples, and these peoples are kind of united together, but they're against each other. And just the history of warfare uh, throughout the Old Testament uh, and our own just world history uh, is attests to that. So there are these various languages and people groups that arise who are not united uh, and there's a need for this horizontal reconciliation. And so what mission will do, as we will follow it here, is it will address both of those needs. Uh, so Genesis 3 shows we need salvation, and mission will address that. That's our third element of our definition. People need to be reconciled to God. But Genesis 11 shows us that mission is about unity as well. People need to be reconciled to each other. But what's really important is that we know the order that those come in, right? Genesis 3 comes before Genesis 11, so the, the vertical problem comes chronologically before the horizontal problem, and that's the theological order as well. Uh, so our, our beef, our primary beef, is with God, uh, and that's the primary reconciliation that needs to take place, and from that, the horizontal reconciliation uh, can take place as well. This, this horizontal uh, unity is a byproduct of the vertical reconciliation that God will work, because that's the order of the need. So basically, at this point in the story, if you kind of picture the whole world as this just dry, barren wasteland, uh, is like there's a, there's a drought, right? So the, the world is, is, is in drought. We need rain. There's, there's this, a, a, a desert across the whole earth. There's this desperate need for God to come and reconcile us to himself and reconcile us to one another. So in response, uh, in the next chapter after Genesis 11, God comes to Abram, and that begins chapter 2, the beginning of mission. So uh, look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is where God begins to address the need that we found in Genesis 3 and Genesis 11. So everything, everything about mission is seminal here. We get a seed of all five elements here in just uh, this, this event of God coming to Abram. So the first, right, mission is something God does. God shows up to Abram and says, here, I got a plan and we're going we're gonna to bless all the peoples of the earth. It was not the case that Abram's like, man, the world is a tough place. Man, we need, people need some God. We got we to do something here. No, no, no. 
Mission is the work of God. Abram was, was worshiping the moon, most likely, and God shows up in his life and says, here, I have a plan, and you are going to be a part of making it happen. The plan for all the families of the earth to be blessed. Notice that's a divine passive, to be blessed. Not to bless themselves or to, you know, for Abram to bless them, but for them to be blessed. God is going to do it. Our second element is here. Mission is something God does for himself. Uh, this one's a little more implicit, but we see here, remember in, in Genesis 11, right, that the idea was that they wanted to make their own name great. They wanted to exalt themselves as a result of building the Tower of Babel. But here, God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to make your name great. So it's not going to be man who's raising up his own name. It is God who's going to raise up Abram's name, which will, as we'll see, uh, exalt God's own name in the end. So uh, by making Abraham, or Abram at this point, his name great, God will make his own name great, make his own name known among all the peoples of the earth. Our third element is here, mission is about salvation. That's the language of blessing and curse. That language, we, we probably read that and we're like, blessing and curse sounds kind of weak. Like, okay, so you'll be blessed. That means you like, I don't know, you had a good day at work or something and curse, oh man, there's bad traffic on my drive home. Uh, actually, this language, when it's picked up in the New Testament, becomes uh, clearly about salvation and damnation. So blessing and cursing are these eternal realities that unfold from the person of Abraham. Uh, and uh, where you stand in relation to Abraham, specifically Abraham's seed, Jesus, uh, will determine where you stand for eternity. So when you read blessing and curse, don't think, oh man, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of interesting. It's, you know, really nice to be blessed, wouldn't it? Uh, that's, that's, not, uh, that's, that's a low view of what is going on here. The Bible will blow that up to huge, epic, cosmic proportions. Our fourth element is here. Mission is all about peoples. God says all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's not about saving as many individuals as possible, right? It's about this diversity of peoples from all the, all the families, all the nations or clans of the earth. Uh, and we even see in Abraham's call uh, that he has to go and cross borders. So he says... God is very specific. You have to leave your country. That's a, a, a national border. He says you have to leave your kindred. That's kind of a cultural border. You have to leave your own house, your father's house. That's a, a familial border. Your family, you must leave them behind. That's what missions will require, these crossing boundaries to new peoples. And then very clearly, our fifth element is here. Mission is about unity. God says, I will make you a great nation. There is this this, this nation that will rise from Abraham's seed. There's a unique people that God intends to bring from this one new man. Uh, and, and in fact, his new name in Genesis 17, which I've already used, because uh, it, it's easier to say Abraham than Abram. Abram doesn't sound like a real name. Anyway, uh, Abraham means father of many, father of many. So he's going to be a father of many, and yet there is one nation that will be coming. So this, this uh, yeah, Unity and diversity together. These two sides coming together in the seed of Abraham. Uh, this passage here, Genesis 12, and, and you could put together all the Genesis 15 and 17 as well with it, the, the different promises made to Abraham, is so significant to the theme of mission that I don't think it's overstatement to say that the development of, of this promise is the development of mission across the whole Bible. 
And so basically where we're at now, right, the world was this desert wasteland, desperate need of rain, it's a drought. Here we get like one drop of rain on the, on the dry land. So God sends one drop of rain, which is, you know, not very helpful. Uh, we got one guy across all the world, uh, but it is a promise of more to come. When you feel that first drop, you know that the, the rains are about to start. So what we should expect next, right, is just this downpour, right? God just saving people from everywhere, right? Isn't that the promise of Abraham being fulfilled? Uh, well, that when you actually read the rest of the Old Testament, it doesn't really feel like that. Uh, what you actually find, or what it feels like you find at least, is silence. It's like if you see a movie, I was trying to think of a movie that does this, and I couldn't think of one, so you just have to, you know, you can think of one maybe. Um, but like you see a movie and there's like the opening scene and you're like, this is so interesting. This is what the movie's about. And then an hour happens of the movie and you're like, this is not what I thought we were getting into when I saw the opening scene, right? So that's kind of what it feels like because you're like, okay, so promise to Abraham, like this gospel is going to spread across the world. Can't wait to see that happen. And then like, okay, not, I mean, Abraham has this dispute about a burial ground. You're like, what's going on here? I thought this guy was the fulfillment of mission. And then, and then his people end up uh, getting in slavery in Egypt, and you're like, okay, this is not what I was expecting. Uh, so our impression, at least certainly mine, is uh, it feels like the Old Testament is kind of silent on the theme of mission from there, at least until we get to the prophets. Uh, and uh, there is a truth to that, but I actually, as you'll see the title of our third chapter, I uh, want to talk about the unsilence of mission in Israel's history. Now, unsilence is probably not a word, but I couldn't think of a better way to say it because I'm not saying that it's everywhere, but I am saying there are a lot of little whispers, little hints that God has not forgotten this big promise that he's made to Abraham to bless all the peoples of the earth. Uh, the way I uh, know that for sure is the case comes actually from Jesus. So we're going to skip very briefly ahead to Luke uh, 24. Look at this passage from Jesus after the resurrection. Uh, and he meets the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And it says, He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Okay, law of Moses, prophets, Psalms. He's saying the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. Okay, the scriptures were the whole Old Testament. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his name, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You will not find a passage in the Bible, that is, in the Old Testament, that it says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead, and repentance, forgiveness of sins should be preached to all nations. Jesus is summarizing, this is what the whole Old Testament is saying together. Law of Moses, prophets, Psalms, all of it is bearing witness to this. So when we read our Old Testament, we should be looking for evidences of that uh, mission happening. And I have five quick examples where God is kind of uh, whispering, kind of reminding us as we read that he has not forgotten this promise to Abraham, this mission that will spread across the whole world and include people, make a people from all peoples. He hasn't backed, up, backed off on it uh, as we read the historical narrative. So the five examples I have here, we'll just run through them very quickly. Um, first, in the Exodus, we miss this. I, I, almost, I miss this for years and years of reading the book of Exodus. But when the people of Israel leave Egypt, it says a mixed multitude 
went up with them. And my God, I don't know what that means. And then immediately after the Exodus, the main uh, thing they talk about is right the Passover, how to keep this for future generations. And they talk about how the foreigner among you must keep this Passover and be circumcised in order to be included in the people of Israel. And you're like, wait a second, where did they come from? Actually, they came from Egypt. There was this mixed multitude, this, and yeah, I won't get into the Hebrew, but basically it's very clear. This is a, 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 an ethnically diverse, a culturally diverse group of people that joined Israel as they left Egypt in the Exodus uh, to go up, and they joined the people of God. They were allowed in to the people of God, provided, again, they accepted circumcision and kept the Passover. Uh, and that's obviously part of a salvation event, which uh, is very closely tied to the theme of mission and God's work and God's name are all over the Exodus narrative. Uh, I've been reading Exodus uh, recently in my own quiet time and it struck me how many times God says, I'm going to bear witness to my, for my own name to the Egyptians. I'm going to show the Egyptians my power, my greatness. He's not even really focusing so much on Israel. Clearly, he is showing them his greatness and his name. But he keeps saying, especially through the plagues, like, I'm going to show Egypt that I'm God. Uh, and that's clearly what he does. Some of them joined the people of God. Uh, we also see this with Rahab the prostitute uh, in Joshua 2. She has this confession, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And you're like, whoa, that's interesting. Uh, how does she know that? Well, in that passage, she says, everyone's heard about what your God did in Egypt. So God, what he did in Egypt in saving his own people is, is, is making a name for himself across the nations uh, and Rahab had heard about it. And actually, she joins the people of God in Joshua chapter 6. It says, Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and then they destroyed Jericho. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Third example of the unsilence of mission in Israel's history we find in the book of Ruth, this uh, Moabitess. Is that a word? Moabite? I'm trying to feminize the word Moabite. Anyway, a female Moabite. Moabite? Anyway, um, I won't say it again. It sounds weird. Uh, when uh, she speaks to Naomi after uh, her husband and her brother-in-law have died, who are Naomi's children, uh, she says to her, where you go, I go will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, Israel, shall be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth was a Moabite. She was not an Israelite. She worshiped other gods. And yet she is saying here to Naomi, I'm going, I'm coming with you and I want to join the people of God and serve the same God. Uh, we see this in the book of uh, 1 Kings with the Queen of Sheba. She says this really interesting, interesting thing to, about, uh, to Solomon rather, blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you, set you on the throne of Israel. Sorry, I meant to put in also Luke 11.31, where Jesus says, the queen of Sheba got it. She understood. Just from 1 Kings, you're like, oh, she thinks it's cool. Where Jesus says the queen of Sheba actually understands a lot better than the people in Israel in Jesus' own day. So this, this woman from far away comes to Israel and is amazed at the God of Israel. He's making a name for himself and, and including people from across the nations. Uh, the fifth example, uh, probably one of the more famous ones, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon uh, has this crazy experience where God humbles him. It's a hilarious passage uh, where he thinks he's a cow or something like that, and he starts eating grass because uh, he was a king, and God had to humble him. And then at the end, he says, the king of Babylon, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, like me, Nebuchadnezzar, he is able to humble. So God is constantly showing us that he has not forgotten his mission, his promise to spread his name among all the peoples of the earth. So basically what this amounts to to continue our reigning metaphor, right, is these little drizzles, right? This, this over here, God's just kind of plucking people up from around the nations, but it's, you know, it's kind of few and far between. There's a, there's a ceiling to what is going on uh, with the promise to Abraham. There's a focus more on one people, the people of Israel, than all peoples of the earth. So it's, it's a little, yeah, little sprinkle, not a downpour. Uh, but then we will see in the prophets... Uh, that in Isaiah specifically, that God has a plan for that, down, for that downpour to begin and spread as a flood across the earth, uh, like a, a good flood, not like a Noah flood, right? You know, not a, not a bad flood. And also, we also have a building that's flooded, so maybe I shouldn't use that illustration. Anyway, uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Isaiah is looking ahead to the future. He says, it shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So again, I think we see all five of our elements, essential elements of what mission is here in this passage. I'll just, I'll just note two things especially I want to highlight. First, uh, verse 2 says the nations will flow to Mount Zion. Uh, first of all, there's something really cool about that image, uh, like this, this image of flowing. It's actually the image of a river flowing. It's the same word, and yet it's flowing up a mountain, which if you know anything about rivers, which again, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure they don't typically flow uphill. They don't flow up mountains, right? So the idea here is there's this magnetism that the mountain of, the, of, of, of Yahweh, the, what is it called here? The mountain of the Lord, yeah, the house of God of Jacob, has this magnetism. The nations flow to the people of God. They flow in. They're joining the people of God, many becoming one. The, the disunity that was wrought at Babel is being turned into this glorious unity. It is undone. And then the second thing I want to highlight from this passage is how that happens. So I mentioned this magnetism of the nations flowing to the God of Jacob. Uh, but verse 3 gives us the reason. It says, Out of Zion will go the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the word there for law is the word Torah, which just, again, means the word of God. It's kind of what it says in the next part of the verse too. But the point here is there is something going out so that the nations flow in. There is a message, the word of the Lord, going out to the peoples that will bring them in. And so uh, really the, the, uh, the prophet's main development for us here to the theme of mission uh, is the inclusion of preaching as essential to that mission. So there will be a preaching that goes out from the people of God to bring in other peoples to the people of 
God. The nations flow in because the word goes out. And the prophets, they, they look ahead and they foresee just this explosion in mission in the last days, which will revolve around this proclamation of God's word for all peoples, which is obviously what we see when we get to the New Testament in Romans chapter 10. Paul says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? In other words, this, has, this is how, what God has ordained for how mission is to be fulfilled. It will be the preaching of God's word to all peoples. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves in that, though, because there's one very important thing that needs to happen uh, before that preaching can go out. We need, we need actually the content of the preaching. We need something to be preached. Whether it's the word of the Lord, what is the word of the Lord that's going to go out? Obviously, in Isaiah's day, we know it's the Old Testament, but there's more that needs to be added, and that's what brings us to, uh, in your notes, chapter 5, what I've called mission par excellence. This is uh, really the climax of the theme across the whole Bible. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh. Remember the Word of God's going out? Well, the Word becomes flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's really no analogy that can capture uh, what is happening here, right? The author enters the story. The general comes to the front line. The director comes on screen. The incarnation is the supreme example of mission and the ultimate accomplishment of mission in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So the five elements that we've been talking about all reach their climax here uh, with the coming of Christ. So mission is God's work. Well, God shows up on the ground. Now God is here. He is in the flesh to do his work, his mission. Mission is God's work for himself. What does Jesus pray on the night before he goes to the cross? He's praying to the Father. I have it in your notes, John 12. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus' mission on earth was to glorify the Father. That is what he is doing. It, the work of Jesus is something ultimate that God is do doing for his own glory, for the sake of his own name. Mission is about salvation, our, our third element to our definition. And what did Christ come to do? To reconcile God to man, to deal with that vertical uh, rupture, that vertical alienation that has taken place. You see it in 2 Corinthians 5. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Missions about crossing boundaries, about yeah, peoples across the whole earth. Well, what does Jesus do here? He crosses the ultimate boundary. Right? Abram's told, leave your family, you know, leave your, your nation, leave your household. Uh, and what does Jesus do? He leaves heaven and comes to earth. He puts on flesh, the ultimate boundary crossed. He, uh, God becomes man, and that will open the floodgates to all nations. Uh, and mission is about unity. And what is, what, who are the people whom Christ makes his own? Well, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this. I, uh, well, yeah, for sake of time, we're okay. Um, I'll read it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You hear the unity already. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He's talking about Jew and Gentile specifically here. So making peace. It might reconcile us both to God, vertical reconciliation, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were once far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit, one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. These peoples becoming a people. That is what Christ ultimately came to do. He is the ultimate fulfillment of mission. He is mission incarnate. He is the climax of the theme. Everything runs toward and flows from him. He's the peak of the mountain. So in the person of Jesus, to continue our reigning illustration, the clouds break, right? The, the downpour begins, the rains begin to fall, uh, but it does not end there because Jesus has a further plan for how this mission will be fulfilled, and this is where we come in. What actually we're doing right now, and gathering as a people, uh, fits in. Look at Matthew chapter 28. When you think of mission, this is probably the passage that comes to mind. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was not... At the, after his resurrection, was like, man, we're really catching fire. There's a lot of people who are kind of interested in this. We should, we should do something. How about, uh, you guys want to go? Tell people. Go, go, go spread this news around the world. This is a great idea. No, Jesus is fully conscious that he is, uh, that this mission did not drop out of the sky, that he is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament promised would come. He's standing in the wake of the Old Testament uh, and at the crest of the new, and he is saying, this was the plan all along. And that plan is for us to participate in the mission of God. So uh, when my kids, when we leave them with a babysitter, it is not the case that I say to the babysitter, congratulations, you're the new parent. Hope the kids turn out all right, right? Uh, I am deputizing them for the task. I'm saying, I'm the parent. I'm telling you and telling my kids, they're going to listen to you. I'm telling you, you have my authority in a certain sense, to, you know, watch my kids for the next two hours while my wife and I go enjoy some peace and quiet. Um, that is functionally what the Great Commission is like. It's the mission of God. He is the parent, right? It's his, his mission. He's the one who's doing it for his own glory, but he deputizes us. He says, congratulations, you get to be a part of it. My, I, all, Jesus says, all authority is mine, and I'm giving it to you to go and spread my name among the peoples of the earth. God does not just, you know, zap people with a lightning bolt from heaven and make them Christians. He actually has, in his wisdom, designed for us to be a part of this mission, to be included in his work, to spread his gospel to all peoples. Uh, there's there's a, lot, a lot we could say here um, about Matthew 28. I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, but basically, we see the fulfillment of Genesis 12, 
Uh, all the families of the earth will be blessed, where Jesus is saying, go to all the nations. The, so the focus in Luke, in Acts, I should say, and, and Luke, uh, is more uh, geographical. It says, go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Uh, here, it is more kind of uh, ethnocultural. So go to all the nations. Um, the word, Greek word is ethne. That's why I say ethnocultural. Um, so the implication here between those two, between Acts and Matthew, is that no border can go uncrossed. Uh, that, that every people group, every distinct language group, every distinct cultural group, uh, every uh, ethne, to use the, the Greek word, it must be, uh, must be yeah, so the border must be crossed to them so that they hear and receive this gospel. Uh, and so that's, that's the first thing I want to point in, in Matthew 28 there. The second is that there is an eschatological orientation to our task. Uh, Jesus says, verse 20, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So mission has an expiration date. There is, there is a day coming when missions will be over, when Christ's kingdom comes uh, in, in full, when his kingdom spans across all the peoples of the world. So to continue our rain analogy, right, Jesus spreads out the cloud, says, go rain everywhere until I'm back. And then, and then mission will be complete, which is what we find in chapter 7, which is, I've titled, Mission Accomplished. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages. There's all those borders I'm talking about being crossed. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. This is where mission is heading. This is the end, the goal of missions. And you see, I think, again, not to belabor our point too much, but you see all five elements here. So verse 10, salvation belongs to our God. That is what the saints are crying. Salvation belongs to our God. So mission is something God does, and it's about salvation. Check and check. Verse 11 says, they fell on their faces and worshiped God. So mission is something God does for himself, for his glory. Check. Verse 9, a multitude from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, crying out. You can't miss this. Crying out with a loud voice. One voice, many languages, one voice, this perfect diversity and unity. God has one for himself. He has called to himself a people from all peoples. So what does this mean for us? I have four applications for us. I'll try to, I'll try to be brief so we can have time for, for Q&A here. The four applications uh, one is theological, something to know. One is a matter of faith, something to believe. One is a matter of action, something to do. And the final one is someone to love. Something to know. Not everything is mission. Not 
everything is mission. I hope from my definition, and I hope I have defined it clear enough and defended it well enough from the scriptures for you to see, not everything we could possibly be doing is the mission of God. Uh, So mission is about addressing the most pressing need a person has, the vertical relationship that has been ruptured. That is what mission is about. So imagine the Titanic is sinking, right? This guy over here is pulling people into lifeboats. He's addressing the most pressing need. This guy over here is starting a seminar about communication and marriage. Okay, communication and marriage is important. But this is not the time, right? There's a more pressing need. It's like, yes, we, it's great. We, should, we want people to communicate well in their marriages. This is a good thing. But man, you look silly when you're not addressing the most pressing need. There's a lot of debate about, out there about the relationship between mercy ministry and missions. So is it, is it missions to build an orphanage, to dig a well in Africa, to, uh, to feed the homeless in India? Uh, I think we should all agree those are good works. Those are things Christians should be doing but they are not addressing the most pressing need. They are not missions without the gospel. If the word of the Lord is not going out, it's not missions. If the Great Commission is not being fulfilled, if not making disciples, it's not missions. So actually, uh, research has been done that shows that gospel ministry has a greater social impact than ministries which are designed to do social impact. Did you hear me say that again? Okay, I'll, I'll say it one more time. Gospel ministry has more social impact than ministries designed to do just social impact. So uh, a friend of mine, actually, his name's Justin Schell, wrote a book uh, where part of it, he talks about this. And I'll I'll read uh, a lengthy quote for you here, but it's very, very interesting. He says, this is what the research shows. Areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental associations. So then this is my brief uh, interjection, so I'm not giving you a three-page quote. Uh, He points out this is only true of what's called conversionary Protestants. In other words, missionaries whose focus was preaching the gospel and planting churches. So he says, this excluded Catholic missionaries who started schools, hospitals, and orphanages, but had no gospel to proclaim. It also also excluded state-sponsored missionaries sent essentially to civilize the local population. Both of these groups focused on social transformation, but neither achieved achieved it in the long run. Instead, those who focus first on gospel work and then discipled, fully formed followers of Jesus have a heritage of transformation that continues today in many places. Uh, I believe it's John Piper who has said, when cultural transformation becomes the goal of the church, it loses its culture-transforming power. When culture transformation becomes our goal, we're actually not going to be able to transform the culture. The gospel is what transforms peoples and cultures. So in the same way, any, anything that does not involve the expansion of the people of God across the border is not mission. Anything that lacks the gospel is not mission. Uh, if, uh, if you stay in your neighborhood and preach the gospel to your coworkers and neighbors, that's great. Jesus commands you do that. It's not mission. It's evangelism. Mission involves crossing borders. So it's, mission is not less than evangelism, but it is also more than evangelism. 
To be missions, uh, it also must be ordered toward the church. So this is uh, kind of elements four and five of our definition together. So mission should involve church planting uh, because it is about many peoples becoming a people. There's a unity that happens when people receive the gospel and they are united in a church. I don't mean to say that uh, like every parachurch mission work, things like uh, you know, translation and sports camps uh, should be thrown out the window. Uh, I mean those things are the bridesmaids, the church is the bride. That, should, that is where the focus should be. Those things are great so long as they are serving the church. That's the first thing. Not everything is mission. Second, something to believe. Mission is guaranteed its success. This should blow your mind and just like, this should encourage you beyond belief to get involved in the work of mission because, I mean, think about how this theme develops, right? It's Abraham's like, okay, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through me. Do you know how old I am? I don't even have any kids, man. Like, what are you talking about? That's impossible. Or imagine being an Israelite living in Egypt. Like, yeah, that promise to Abraham, right. We've been here 400 years. It's not happening. Or imagine uh, being an Israelite in the day of the prophets when Isaiah's like, man, the word's going to go out and all the peoples are going to come. And you're like, dude, we're about to get destroyed by Assyria. What are you talking about? Or imagine being one of the 11 disciples who received the Great Commission, right? We're, we're a bunch of farmers and fishermen, and like we got a tax collector who no one likes here. Like, we're gonna bring the gospel to all the nations? Are you crazy? And then you get to Revelation 7, and you see this beautiful picture of all the peoples of the earth. And, I mean, the fact that we are a church in McKinney, Texas, gathering and receiving the word every Sunday should blow your mind. Those 11 fishermen, farmers, and the tax collector are the reason we're here. God used them, and we're here today. I mean, glory to God. So how exciting is that? How exhilarating to be a part of this. Uh, that leads us to our next application, something to do. Fulfill the mission. Fulfill the mission. Jesus has deputized us with a task, and it's not complete. There are many peoples in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Many. And not just people, peoples. There are entire, huge numbers. I should have done the, I have the research somewhere. I should have gotten the numbers for you. Huge groups of people who have never heard the name of Christ, who live and die, for, have, have lived and died for millennia, and have never heard they can be saved and find joy in God through the gospel. The story of missions is how the gospel got to you. So again, how it got here to McKinney, Texas, and the work is still ongoing. I want to be clear, missions is not a duty reserved for a special group of people who feel called to be a missionary. It is the duty of the church. It is the duty of every Christian. It is the duty of all, all people who follow uh, Christ. There will be people who go, like Abraham did, but there are other ways to be involved in the mission. I'll do them very briefly because we're over time. Pray, give, and go. Jesus, I'm preaching next Sunday on the passage where Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, so we should do that. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Give financially. Missions is not cheap. It requires uh, sacrifice, uh, both those who are going and those who are sending. So have a line item in your budget. Be giving to missions. John, or Third John, I won't read it for you, but it's in there. Uh, and it's a biblical command. Give to those who go out for the sake of 
the name and go. Maybe, uh, maybe you, maybe some in this room, God is calling to the nations who haven't heard of Christ. That's what my wife and I plan to do someday, and if that's something the Lord is stirring in your heart, I'd, I'd love to talk with you about it. Final thing, before we have a few minutes for Q&A, how do we stay on this mission? So God has given us this huge, glorious picture from Genesis to Revelation, and it's easy to get distracted and focus on so many other things in our lives. How do we focus? How do we stay on this mission? The actual answer is not be all about missions. That's not the answer. The answer is not be a missions guy or a missions girl. The answer is love Jesus and his glory and his grace, and you will stay on mission. Mission is a wonderful enterprise. It is a horrible God. Be all about Jesus, and missions will flow from that. I remember I met, uh, I was in a, I don't even know what to call it, it was this random group of people where this missionary from Japan was talking about what he's doing. There was this girl in the room who said, I can't wait. To, she's like, I really want to go to Japan. I love the people of Japan. I really want, you know, I think their culture is so cool. And this missionary said, don't come to Japan. He said, man, you're going to hate the people when you get here. Because guess what? They're sinners. But if you love Jesus, if Jesus is the reason you want to come to Japan, then come to Japan. But don't come because you think the people are great. Two quotes, and then we'll pray. Oswald Chambers, any work for God that has less than a passion for Jesus Christ as its motive will end in crushing heartbreak and discouragement. Count Zinzendorf, famous missionary, started the Moravian movement. He says, I have but one passion, one passion. I'm not a missions guy. I have one passion. It is he. It is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world. Henceforth, that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. That's your application, church. Love Jesus. Make him your passion and let mission flow from that. I have a number of books, way too many books, uh, down there for you. If you want me to narrow the list down for you, let me know. Um, I've read all of them. They're very, all very good. Let me pray, and then I'm supposed to make eye contact with Tim. Oh, there you are. Uh, I'll pray, uh, and, uh, and then we'll do some Q&A. Father, we love you, and we pray that we would desire the exaltation of your Son among all the nations. We pray that we would not uh, yeah, be distracted with so many other things in this life, but that we would Look to, look to you, we would be on this mission, we would have a passion for it, we would think wisely, we would be grounded in sound doctrine from your word to know how to do this, uh, and that you would, Father, raise up many laborers to go to the harvest for your name's sake. Amen.